On this episode, Holodeck Mark I goes about as good as Westworld did. Hamilton turns out to be a hit before it was cool. Moms and dads turn out to be the same in every dimension. And we swear it's still not Q. <laughs> I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard, take a station, and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts. This week we're going to be discussing The Squire of Gothos, which was aired originally in 1967 on January 12th. Uh, this one is kind of weird. Um, <laughs> so again, we swear it's not Q, although it is very Q-like. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> but basically the synopsis is the childish but powerful ruler of the planet Gothos captures the crew of the Enterprise for his own amusement. And that's pretty if, much it. There's not really the, much deeper. <laughs> if you're the only person on the planet, can you really say that you rule it? I mean, <laughs> you're in charge of all the social services. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're required to feed everyone. Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Your taxes are a hundred percent though. That's a real number. <laughs> it's a weird economy. <laughs> so, um, so this was written by a writer that we've dealt with before, uh, Paul Snyder. Um, we discussed him on, uh, the episode, uh, that he wrote was Bells of terror, which was the subject of our episode run silent, run deep. Um, he's also going to write the Terran experiment, which is an episode of the Star Trek animated series. Uh, he had a long career starting in 1952, uh, directing or writing, pardon me, writing a Mr. Magoo cartoon short. Ooh. And he actually wrote all the way up until 1982. Um, his biggest project was a soap called love of life, uh, for, on which he was the head writer and was credited with almost 2000 episodes. Dear Lord, <laughs> I've never um, even heard of that soap opera. Yeah, oh, I know. Gosh. But, um, now, the odd thing is, despite all of his career and his long span of career, he'd never worked on a Manix or a Simon and Simon, which that's just, there's something wrong. It here. seems odd. I'm, I'm thinking there's something wrong there. It says a lot about um, this episode, actually. <laughs> he actually originally wrote this episode as an anti-war narrative, which we'll talk about the character Trelane. Uh, he was inspired by watching his children play soldier and thought, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something anti-war. I'm going to be weird. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be against war. <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. I don't think it hit the way he thought it was going to hit. <laughs> no. That's, uh, it yeah, really I, doesn't come off as an anti-war. <laughs> not so much. <laughs> Um, now this was directed by Don McDougal and this is the only Star Trek that he's going to direct though. We know we're in good hands cause he did do nine episodes of Mannix and 31 episodes of Bonanza. He had lots of long runs on uh, TV Westerns. Uh, he worked with, uh, um, DeForest Kelly, um, in the fifties a lot, um, worked a lot of really weird, fantastic television as well. Planet of the apes, uh, episodes of the Spider-Man TV series, which you've ever seen it is horrible. Um, 
bionic Spider woman. Man, Spider Man. Sorry. <laughs> Imagine Spider Man, but he only fights white collar criminals. <laughs> <laughs> Spider Man, NCIS. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, McDougal also did some Bionic Woman, did Six Million Dollar Man, did Wonder Woman, did Kolshak the Night Stalker. So lots of really weird stuff. Um, he worked with Nimoy. Uh, previous to this, on an episode of The Virginian, he worked, as I men- mentioned, with DeForest Kelly on a number of episodes of the show Trackdown. And he actually would go on to work with Star Trek actors. And after this, um, he ends up shooting two episodes of Barbary Coast. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. Horrible television at its best. Um, Barbary Coast? Like, Barbary. is it actually like they're pirates? No, it is based in San Francisco, and the plot is Doug McClure owns a saloon, and he I believe he owes the government tax money. And so to make up for it, he allows William Shatner, who's a agent with, I believe, the Treasury Department, to work out of his saloon. And Shatner does all sorts of disguises. He's like a spy type. Oh, that sounds it's awesomely terrible. Oh, it is. It is really, really bad. It only lasted one season. And I have to tell oh, you, I got to find episodes of this crap. <laughs> um, if you go to the internet, Oh, I will send you a link. The internet database. I believe that um, there's oh, I, oh the internet archive. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's where we saw it. That last. means that nobody's hosting it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wait a so, minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just got to the last part. He worked with Michael Dorn on chips. He worked on Michael Dorn with Michael Dorn and chips. Yep. Okay. I don't know what's, what's better that he worked with, with Michael Dorn on chips or that Michael Dorn was on chips. Michael Dorn How was did, on chips. I didn't know that. I, now I have another thing I have to go find. He uh, drove one of the cruisers. He wasn't a, a motorbike. Uh, <laughs> you uh, have the right to remain silent or else you will die. <laughs> Gone any faster, I would kill you where you stand. Stealing purses has no honor. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there, there are a number of fans that, of course, theorize that this Trelane was the inspiration for Q. Even John Delancey once said that he thought Gene might have been on to something and maybe wasn't really noticing it uh, in the front of his mind. <laughs> now, one thing I did find, though, is that uh, the author Peter David did write <clears throat> in 1994, he wrote a novel called Q Squared, where he posits that Trelane was actually a member of the Q continuum and that Q might have actually been kind of his godfather. Um, in the novel, uh, the name Trelane came from being an alternate version of the young Q operating in multiple lanes of alternative timelines. <laughs> oh, you guys even had tried to explain the name. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little bizarre, but I, you know, what are you going to do? I, I think it would have been much easier to just say he chose Trelane because he was really into like old timey earth stuff. There you go. <laughs> Done. I will say it's a lot of people really like Peter David. Um, I know more from his comic book writing. He is a really good writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know this is a book that a lot of people really, I've never read it myself, but a lot of people really enjoy it and consider it semi-canon. Yeah. Canon I've never read Jason. it either, but it, it is, 
it is one of the books that came out after uh, TNG got a show Bible. So it, uh. it, it does carry canon better. Um, I, I think it, he took a little bit of a left turn, like you said, trying to worry about the name. Who cares about the name? <laughs> it's not even important. If you had just said he was a member of the continuum, you'd be good. Not everything <laughs> has to have significance. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> so we open on the bridge and let's be honest, everybody looks a little sleepy because it is <laughs> coffee time. <laughs> this is what I love about Star Trek. There's going to be coffee in the future and lots of it. Oh my God. There, this one is like abrupt. <laughs> there is literally a coffee cup on everybody's station. And, <laughs> and the yeoman who's playing waitress still has like one, a tricorder on her as well. Okay, seriously, what is with that? I was watching that and I was like, okay, they did that to Rand. Now they're doing it to her. Why is it that if you serve drinks on the Enterprise, you also have to carry a, a tricorder? I, I don't get you it. You can't remember there's only, what, nine people on the bridge. You can't remember all of their orders. I don't think they can even take orders on a tricorder. I think the only thing she's using it for is to make sure they're the right temperature. Like, I don't know. Um, I, it was, it was also weird because, uh, okay. I had a really hard time watching this scene. I am a computer guy and watching as Sulu put his coffee cup on that console. (laughs) I was like, dude, if I was in it, I would restrict your permissions right now. Yeah. After, after you mentioned that, when I watched it the second time, especially a couple of times when he moves his hand, which is like, Oh, Oh, right. And my favorite is Uhura. She's got hers on her console too, but her console, if you think about it, it is slanted like 30 degrees down. And so that cup is off kilter sitting sideways the entire episode. And every time it comes on screen, it just makes my skin crawl. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry, everyone. I got really into the coffee cups. Stop doing that. I know. Right. <laughs> it does make you wonder though, the, the preponderance of coffee in Star Trek. I sometimes wonder if Jean-Luc Picard did the whole tea thing just so he could stand out. Oh no, no, none for me. Yeah. Right. I'll have he, tea. That's his hipster moment. So he's <laughs> that one dude, that one dude. <laughs> <laughs> so the enterprise is heading into, into a vast expanse of nothing as it kicks up the uh, engines up to warp three, because they're going to get supplies to colony beta six. Now colony beta six, this is still very early in the Federation and you guys have already run out of names for planets. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of like, really already we're at B six. <laughs> I mean, we know there's at least two planets named after Jonathan Archer. It's like, really, you guys <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Maybe they were just, they were playing Battleship at the time. And they were like, oh, you sunk my destroyer. Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> now, I do want to point out that at this point, as they're talking about the different status of everything on the bridge, my daughter turns to me as she's watching it with me and she goes, dad, what's with all the bird noises on the bridge? And I, I, I got to give her credit. I, as I listened to all the little tweedles and deedles and everything going on, I was like, it does sound like birds. <laughs> it's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> so they start to go on this whole thing about going into a space desert, which space desert just doesn't kind of work for me. I, I don't know. That's, well, that's, I mean, there's uh, no water. 
<laughs> it was like we were expecting rainfall in this area. Yeah, um, it, uh, it is in, it is indeed an arid region where nothing grows. <laughs> <laughs> and and McCoy starts to do the whole thing about the the you know the mystery of the desert, and it conjures and Spock's just like, uh, I don't see how you could romanticize the desert. Okay, at this point, is he just screen with him? Well, like the dude grew up in a desert. <laughs> exactly. Like, how do you? Well, okay. He's from a desert planet. He's from a people who don't romanticize anything. <laughs> so he's like, I don't get it. So I totally get that attitude. Now, why he's jumping down McCoy's throat for it, I don't know. <laughs> why McCoy is romanticizing the desert in the first place, I also don't know. <laughs> like, I, I love how McCoy just go. he waffles back and forth between being like, yeah, you know, you should rub some dirt on that. You'll be fine. <laughs> and then the next minute he's like, I just... Can't help but see the beauty of the hills. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kept waiting for them to get stuck in space quicksand. <laughs> Quick, throw a space rope around the space cactus. <laughs> get out. As as they pass the uh, the you know the cow skull. That's right. <laughs> space cow skull. <laughs> If it's outside the ship, it's got to have space on it. Just rub some space on it. Anyway. Yeah, I think that's going to be the name of my punk band. Space, <laughs> cow, space, sp- sp- space cow skull. Nice. <laughs> so Spock is like, hey guys, look at that. There's a planet. <laughs> I don't. <sighs> he says it, it must have been caught in some sort of light warp. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Do you know what he's talking about here? Cause it just no kind of sounds like he's making stuff up. I have no idea, but you know what? His coffee's on his console. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to remember that next time. Like I lose my keys or something and something points them point. They're right there. Oh, they must have been caught in a light warp. Right. <laughs> that is going to be my go-to excuse for stuff. I love it. I don't lose stuff. My house just has an unusually high number of light warps. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock mentions that there's a planet out there and it's kind of weird and everybody gets immediately tense because anytime Spock like says something weird, they kind of rely on Spock and Scotty Yenohura to really know everything. Yep. And so when any one of them comes up and doesn't have the answer, things get really tense on the Enterprise. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I think it's true that Scotty, Uhura, and Spock are the only ones who run the ship. They, <laughs> yeah. they literally do everything. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the idea, you know, Kirk is kind of like a a, a, tel- a television director. Totally. Hey, everything's already set up and your people are already there and the machine is going. You just kind of show up, tell people what to do for a couple of days and then take off. <laughs> right. Every once in a while, he comes out of his, his stupor and he says, um... Can you zoom in on that for me? <laughs> <laughs> and Sulu, he he doesn't actually have any real controls there. He's just texting Ahura the whole time. <laughs> what should I do? What should I do? Something about a guy who leans when he tries to steer the, sh- the spaceship. You know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Kirk's like, you know, let's let's just drive by and check it out because you know we we can't really slow down. Uh, yes, because they're going warp three. Okay. The Archer Enterprise went warp three. Yep. So they're going through a space desert on 
Kirk's Enterprise at warp three, this kind of tells me that there's something that Kirk doesn't want to do. He's and just so killing he's time. Taking, he's taking a long time. <laughs> do, 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 do. Don't tell the Admiral. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just scan this planet, this weird planet that isn't supposed to be there. Let's just scan it lightly as we go by because, you know, we're behind and there's no way I'm going to go to warp four. That's insane. That's crazy. Exactly. Talk, so that's okay. Or her is like, um, you know what? I can't get through any of this stuff. I can't see anything. I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, this day just keeps getting better and better. And again, coffee on the console. <laughs> so Kirk says the most complicated thing he can possibly imagine. Let's go around it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a command decision there. <laughs> okay. So this, this next scene is fantastic. Cause Sulu's like, Oh, well, I'm glad he said so. Cause I never would have thought of that. He starts clicking switches and he, all of a sudden he looks like he's going to throw up. You're like, this guy had too much coffee and he sits back and he just kind of looks a little weird. And then I swear to God, the bong noise that they made sounded exactly like, um, uh, oh my God, Samantha twitching her nose on the witch. Yes. I was going to mention, uh, I was going to mention a genie also. Oh yeah, totally. Making everybody in the sixties when they disappeared by magic or by strange technology, they went, boy, 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 boy. Well, we'll get to other sound effects that are, for some reason, everything in the 60s does too later. Uh, yeah, so Sulu was, totally was having an acid flashback though, man. <laughs> see the look on his face like, whoa. And then, boink, he's gone. Yeah, he he pulled that he, he pulled that acting bit just a little too realistic. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so... Kirk runs over as soon as Sulu disappears. Kirk runs over to Sulu's chair, gets a weird look on his face, and he boings out of existence himself. Oh no! I love that that the Sal is like, "Hey Spock, um, did you see that? <laughs> Kirk's gone." <laughs> Spock's like, hey, "I was looking in the box over here. I didn't see anything. What's up, <laughs> dude? Had my earbuds in? What are you talking about? How do you miss?" Two boing sounds on your bridge. I know, right? It was really loud. Uh, let's see. Navigator to Sal. Is it Dussal or Lussal? It's Dussal, right? Dussal, yeah. Yeah. And you might recognize him as Michael Barrier. Um, he was in the episode um, Cat's Paw, which we covered in our episode, the Halloween one. Um, he had a small TV career all through the 60s. Um the IMDb article on him claims that he went back to law school and passed the bar and then joined the Coast Guard and practiced law during his service for the Coast Guard. So that's kind of cool. Wow. Uh, so we've seen him in Cat's Paw. We see him in this episode. We're going to see him one more time in this side of paradise. Um, so he's he's a three-time trekker. Then he shall never trek again. This is the dude who gave the great line, I bet credits to Navy Beans. We can put a dent in it, <laughs> which has never left my brain because I'm still trying credits, to wonder which is the currency in the Federation, credits or Navy beans. Well, does it really matter? The important thing is, what is the exchange rate? <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Spock is like, full reverse power. <laughs> um, oh, okay. <laughs> To which everybody on the bridge is like, well, Sulu's gone, so who's going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ooh, boy, this is awkward. 
Eh, let's go to commercial because that, that we're done with this scene. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> so uh, now we find out that it's start date two one two four point five. Thank you, Mister Spock. <laughs> and we go back to the bridge, and so <laughs> here's what I don't get. They go back to the bridge and they do a whole uh, little rundown of how they've been sc- scanning everything. And there is a planet um, and they don't know where Jim and Sulu have gone. So Scotty shows up and he's like, I've searched everywhere. <laughs> like they just vanished into thin air. They're not hiding going tee hee <laughs> I... I uh, some of the things they say on this show just drive me nuts. I'm thinking it was Scotty's excuse of to like hit all those little stashes throughout the ship. Right. You know what? I'll, I'll search the ship. I'll, exactly. I'll do that part. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search the hold. Uh, don't worry about me. <laughs> I might be in the shuttle bay a little bit longer. <laughs> I, I could swear they were in this Jeffrey's tube. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to lay here a little while and see if they show up. You know, this would be easier if we still had a bar. <laughs> <laughs> so <coughs> excuse me so the enterprise is kind of a really odd ship though because when we get back to the bridge the guy who comes in and backs up sulu is from the geology department ah lieutenant jaeger <laughs> i uh i because of what happens later i have to say i don't think he's chuck's progenitor i progenitor no progenitor would be older yeah or progenitor would be progeny. Yes. Progeny. Would progeny. Be there we go. He is not Chuck's progeny. <laughs> I think he's Jaeger in the sense of hunter in German. <laughs> we'll come back. Nailed it. <laughs> so, so DeSalle and everyone's just like, Hey, why don't we just beam down on the planet and go look for them? And then Spock has to kind of remind people that, well, no, you can't beam down to planets that, don't allow you to breathe the air. That's that would be bad. Yeah, but geologists don't know anything about planets, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Uhura gets a text message. Yeah. And we see okay, this is very odd because the lettering that they use too is does not seem the letter okay. is very German Gothic. Hold on. So every message they've ever gotten on this show has either been audio only or it's been on the main view screen. Those TVs that are above the consoles have only ever been used for Spock to be really weird and awkward and point at. <laughs> now all of a sudden, or her is like, hey, look, I got a message and points to one of these windows and it it says greetings and felicitations, which I don't want to know what Felicity has to do with this. <laughs> anyway. Um, it was such a good show though. Such a good show. Was it? I never watched a single episode. I, I gotta be honest. Um, I, I, the only stuff I ever saw was like commercials and stuff. And, and I have to say she was way better on the Americans. <laughs> anyway. Well, I've never seen it. I just bought the box set and I'm just keeping it preserved because it's worth more that way. If I you know, actually open it and watch thing, it. Right? So, you know, there, there are some serious collectors out there who would love that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> wow, are we off track? Um. Okay, so if anyone didn't catch on to that, we're advertising for our spinoff series where we review the episodes of Felicity. 
Ew, gross. <laughs> we haven't come up. We haven't come up with the title yet, but I'd rather do a third rock from the sun podcast before that. <laughs> Ugh. Gross. Well, compare the two. <laughs> compare Felicity and third rock from the sun. I like it. <laughs> now, if you'll notice in episode 42 here, the third rock folks, they seem to be talking about being aliens, but Felicity is desperately in love with someone. I don't understand how these have anything to do with each other. So the font is damn near unreadable. Cause like you said, it's like a German Gothic kind of thing, which makes no sense because that would not have been the era that he was looking at, but whatever. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's just like, Hey, it's history. Right. Um, also I, so <laughs> Spock's like, Hey, send him a message back. And he tells her a message to send. And she's like, okay. Puts in a tape. <laughs> now to your point, how does she have this preloaded? This makes no sense whatsoever. I, I'm thinking that they tell her to do stuff, but in reality, she's already has a prepackaged media, uh, media package. Yeah, that she just slips in there and it's just like, bow. hey, we're the Enterprise. We're coming to your place soon. We Either that or like she just has a dictionary of words that she puts together in different forms. And she at one point she was like, greetings and felicitations means nothing to us. And when she recorded <laughs> that, she was like, I don't understand why I'm saying this. What's my motivation here? <laughs> Suddenly they found a reason to use it. Also, <laughs> learn how interfaces work. She pushes like four <laughs> buttons and the message is just sent that he just said that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> also, what is hip, hip, hurrah? Is that a sixties thing? I've always heard no, hip, that, hip, hooray. No, hurrah, hurrah. You do, hurrah, I think is in between is, uh, I'm guessing here, but I'm going to guess it's in the period in between huzzah and hooray. I'm thinking Ooh, it's probably part of the evolution. Thought. So it could have said hip, hip, huzzah. Hip, hmm. Actually, hip, 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 huzzah actually would have been more correct for the time period that he's pointing to. Interesting. All right. I might have to do a weird deep dive on hip, hip, hurrah. And don't worry, I won't make anybody listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock's like, um, what do you guys think is going on? Yeah. <laughs> This one has really got him. It's like, ah, I'm not even going to try. Right? <laughs> so this whole episode, Scott, or, uh, Spock is kind of like that. He Every time he's got a decision to make, he's like, all right, let, let's all get in a huddle. What do you guys think? <laughs> uh, I, I got nothing. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah. I think you pointed out to the, after the Galileo thing, he's still kind of, you know. Right? I, the giants kind of freaked him out and he's like, oh, maybe I'll ask everybody's opinion. <laughs> like, I don't want to be responsible for this crap. Right? He's like, I don't know. We got this weird text message. What do you guys want to do? McCoy's like, well, first we're going to dig a hole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so they got the text message. So, of course, we have to beam down. <laughs> But, but Spock is just like, we got to beam some people down. Well, well, not me and, and not Scotty and not Nuhura, but we got to beam some people down. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily this time they've actually got a whole bunch of bridge officers <laughs> that are just backups now. Cause like they've never had these people on the bridge before. <laughs> Jaeger's I, like, wait, is this the only reason you called me? <laughs> <laughs> We're usually used to Uhura just filling in whatever seat is empty at the time. <laughs> right? 
I don't know. And Spock is super weird. Uh, just asking people's opinions and like the way he sits back to ask him to, it's like he, he like sits back in the captain's chair and he's like, all right, stun me. Give me something really cool. <laughs> and everybody just starts like rapid firing stuff at him. It was weird. <laughs> Give me your pitch. Give me your pitch. Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, so they go down to the, uh, to the transporter room. <laughs> And then, okay, so th- this is the first time I've seen them actually use real breathing apparatuses. Yes. Apparati? Appara- uh, apparatuses. Well, I'm going to go with that. And they put them on, and they it, if it wasn't for the fact that these people didn't know what sleep apnea was yet, <laughs> I would, totally would have thought they were they all had their sleep apnea machines. <laughs> Everyone get your mini CPAP on. Now right? We go. They, they did actually look like real breathing apparatuses. Like they were actual masks with little uh, capsules stuck on them and a little tube going to some machine. I don't know. I don't know why you eat both, but it was cool. <laughs> so originally in the script, they were going to have them wear those orange hazmat suits that they had in uh, the naked time. But reportedly uh, after looking at them again, Robert Justman sent a memo to uh, Gene Kuhn and said, yeah, if we send them down on that, the crowd's basically, the audience is basically going to be laughing like a half hour, you know, along with the show. So we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't, he didn't know the real reason. It wasn't the costumes. It was because it would make us think and constantly be sitting there going, <laughs> naked time. Oh, yeah. No, he's right. Well, it would have been stupid and hilarious at the same time. Plus, Tremaine would have just made fun of them mercilessly. <laughs> also, Spock turns around and what does he hand them? The laser beacon. Oh, yeah. The little football looking thing with a flashlight tube on it. <laughs> I love that prop. I actually, I, I want to 3d print that prop. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm going to do it because I love that prop. It's so stupid and pointless. It does nothing, but <laughs> I, I like how his Spock actually knows how it works. Now he has to make sure. Oh, Oh, take one of these. I, I after the last episode, I right? actually learned what this thing was. He's like, <laughs> you know, what's funny is when I was on the Galileo, I looked at the manual for this thing and you're not going to believe what it does. <laughs> do i feel stupid right also just like covid nobody puts the masks over their mouths (laughs) like you're gonna go down to a planet where the atmosphere is not breathable maybe you could put the mask over your face just saying you want me to live in fear (laughs) so they get down to the planet and you know it's your average star trek planet it's a Soundstage, fake trees. Yeah, you know. So as soon as they get there, Jaeger's like, "Yeah, seems good to me." They all take <laughs> off their masks. <laughs> they get the they take those things off so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a merc, and I can make my own decisions. Wait, no, no, that's not what they said. <laughs> so they're cut off from communications. They can't reach anybody. So uh, Desal starts wandering through the trees with his laser beacon um and he's getting nothing except for some cool sounds well it's because it's just a flashlight i mean as soon as he turns (laughs) that thing on you're like "Mm, that's like those little flashlight lightsabers remember those had like a six inch long tube on the end of a flashlight (laughs) oh yeah it's a lightsaber (laughs) totally felt like that anyway 
Um, I, in looking in production notes, I did see that we are not the only ones who noticed that there is something horrendously wrong with LaSalle's finger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, other people and I also I didn't noted, see that in the bridge. I mean, I did not notice that in the in the bridge scene at all yeah, until he got either. down the planet. Dude totally slammed his finger in the door, like between that scene and this scene. <laughs> and it was it, I, I was kind of surprised they didn't like put a band-aid on it or something. Or just anything to just cover up that color because it was really <laughs> like glaringly obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda it was a bit bizarre. <laughs> stole attention. Um and then as he's wandering around, he finally finds something. And you can tell because the music went dun dun dun. <laughs> My daughter was sitting next to me, and she goes, "Uh oh, he found something weird." Because the music just went dun dun dun. <laughs> and then she was like, "Oh, it's a castle." <laughs> and it's a weird castle. <laughs> they they go in big wooden door. They go in the big wooden door. You see some nice fifties and sixties style couches that are mixed with some medieval architecture and then some early Renaissance art with a harpsichord. It is very weird. Can we just take a moment here though, to appreciate the fact that every single planet in the Star Trek universe appears to have Vasquez rock and somewhere (laughs) nearby a castle, (laughs) a European medieval castle. It's just what people do, right? So as they walk through, or as they walk in the room, <clears throat> they're immediately met by a vestibule that has an M113 creature in it, which if it's you'll the, recall, is the salt vampire from the, the salt vampire. Track. Now the, uh, salt vampire, uh, is being reused because it's star Trek and we can't let a costume not get reused. <laughs> that stuff's just sitting there and it's free. So let's use it. Okay, so the the reaction from McCoy though, does he actually see the salt creature, 100%. or does he see Nancy? I so I wondered about that too, because like when he stops and just like double takes on it, you're like, wait a minute, what is he seeing? It, it I have to admit, I thought the same thing. <clears throat> what, it was kind of cool. Why does the doctor think that the creature is kind of hot? Why Why does he keep on saying right? that? I'm what is he doing? <laughs> Now, this uh, this creature was also designed by the great Hua Chang, uh, who designed the giant head aliens from uh, the man trap, as well as, or sorry, not from the man trap, from the cage, uh, then the salt vampire from the man trap. And he also designed the even more famous makeup that's coming in the next episode, the Gorn from uh, Arena. The Gorn. <clears throat> Now, this particular makeup, though, I did find an interesting thing about it, that when they were designing the salt vampire, um, uh, who was it? Uh, Oh, my goodness. I totally lost my place. One second. There it is. So when they were first designing the salt vampire, they were trying to figure out what what it was going to look like. And one of the uh, uh, Robert H. Justman said you know what I want is I want this to be something grotesque, but may I make a suggestion that they're also incredibly beautiful, but terrifying, perhaps something along the lines of 
that green dancing girl we had <laughs> in, in the other episode. Uh, so yeah, apparently the original design for this character was actually supposed to look like an Orion slave girl. <laughs> and as they were moving along, they were like, you know, that doesn't really work for what we're trying to do here. So it turned into this weird sucker face looking thing. <laughs> okay. The thing is I had the whole costume, everything. I kind of left it in the kiln a little long, so it looks a little different now. Oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> um, I will tell you that the the actual language that he used in his memo uh, was perhaps she could be something along the lines of the green dancing maiden we had in Star Trek 1. Would you believe a blue dancing maiden, maybe with orange hair, and plenty stacked? Oh, geez. thank you. Six. <laughs> so, yeah, um, they, they went with something a little more monster like anyway. and not nearly as stacked. <laughs> so uh, they they walk a little further and they see Jim and Sulu standing there uh, and they're completely frozen. And all I can think is Domo Arigato, Mr. Because <laughs> they are totally in robot formation. And as soon as the camera switches over to them, Shatner blinks hard. <laughs> they're, they're making such a big deal about how these guys are completely frozen. And man, he is just like, there's something in my eye. <laughs> anyway, he did, he did good the rest of the scene. But right at the very beginning second, it was like, oh, man. <laughs> So the door creepily swings closed. The harpsichord begins to play out of nowhere. And we see, well, it's not Liberashi. It looks like Liberashi, but it's not. It's Trelane, played by William Campbell. Uh, most Star Trek fans will know William, Cam- William Campbell as Koloth, the Klingon commander in Trouble of Tribbles and a couple of, or one good episode, Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he was an actor who worked a lot. He was a World War II Navy veteran, um, started his screen career on John Garfield's The Breaking Point, and he worked regularly in movies in the 1950s. Um, he started in a series about long haul truckers in the late fifties called Cannonball, which I didn't know there was a moving on before there was a moving on that found that interesting. Um, sorry for those of you who know early seventies television. Yeah, moving on was a, a show about long haul truff, truckers. Man, what was it about the seventies? There was so much stuff about long haul truckers. And then it turned out we were actually just obsessed with the CBs and then everything <laughs> became CBs. <laughs> so, uh, Campbell, uh, transferred to television, uh, later in his career and he actually worked until 1994. Wow. Um, he has like, some interesting things to his career. He was the first actor to sing with Elvis in on a film um in love me tender um that's pretty cool that's a that's a feather in your cap right there there is a number of rumors that his first wife was a mistress to both jfk and frank sinatra and was connected to the mob okay i take it back there's another feather (laughs) and another one (laughs) so one thing i thought was interesting is that he uh shot a movie with roger corman um 
William Campbell's brother actually was a writer, a Hollywood writer, and worked for Corman quite a bit. And they went to Ireland to shoot a movie. And he stayed afterwards because Corman's sound man talked to Corman out of $40,000 to shoot a small film uh, while they were after uh, Corman's film was done. Um, so uh, William Campbell got to work with a very, very young Francis Ford Coppola in a movie, Dementia 13, in 1963. Jeez Louise, that's crazy. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a fun one. Um, So he spent a lot of his career working for the um, Motion Picture and Television Fund, and he was at one point its administrator and chief fundraiser. This was a fund that helped actors, uh, aging actors who might have not really had a pension or some sort of retirement. Um, In fact, there's a really great picture of William Campbell and uh, James Doohan uh, with, I believe it's Larry and Mo from the three stooges when they were both living oh, in, wow. uh, at that home. Um, a quick oh. note about, uh, Trelane though, which I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, Campbell said the claim that the part was originally written for Roddy McDowell. That's who McDougal, yeah. the director really wanted, which honestly would have been amazing. Oh yes. Um, However, the producers, after after looking at the costume, we thought that McDowell would appear too gay to be on late 60s television. Um, and so McDowell was not given the part. Uh, Campbell was a little bit bigger, a little bit huskier, and they thought that would give still be a fop, but have more of a manly presence to it. Yeah, no, I think that's... I mean, don't get me wrong. Roddy McDowell in this outfit would have been too gay for sixties TV, <laughs> but the way that, that the producers and the, and everybody thought that it was supposed to look, there were plenty of very flamboyantly gay characters on TV in the sixties that people just were like, okay, with that's fine. But for this particular show, for some reason that would not have been okay. <laughs> it, it was, it was kind of like, you know, uh, early afternoon is fine, but as soon as we get into prime time, it's not okay. <laughs> ah, it's and, such a weird and, thing and and how realistic is it going to be that you know roddy mcdowell is going to take down james t kirk That's right <laughs> so the cody was wearing this fantastic um uh 17 or yeah 17th century no 18th century 18th century I believe. 18th century coat uh, was not actually made for the show. It was rented by the West or rented from the Western costume company. Uh, it, the same coat is going to be seen again in a Gilligan's Island episode called Lovey's secret admirer, which again, that means there was somebody else on the Island. What? Uh, anyway, <laughs> and the monkeys episode, the prince and the popper. That's awesome. Um, okay. it's, it is a beautiful coat and I can totally see, uh, um, I'm going to guess Mickey Dolan's in that jacket. In that coat. <laughs> Speaking of props. Okay. This is just a stupid thing, but there's a shot when they first show Trelane and he's introducing himself the way they frame the shot. There's Julius Caesar to one side of him. And there's a old globe, uh, antique globe to the other side, but the way he has it set up, it looks as if, Caesar is looking at the globe and he just has an extremely pissed off look on his face. <laughs> <You> <laughs> and I don't know why this time when I watch it, it was just like, 
oh my God, I kind of want that. I, I want that right? in my house. <laughs> the other thing I noticed that was really odd was the statue of Napoleon just propped up in the middle of the room. <laughs> like, if you're going to have a statue up, wouldn't you want that out of the way where you're going to constantly walk by it? It just seemed really an odd, odd placing. <laughs> it's kitsch. Right? I use it for a coat rack. <laughs> so Trelane frees Kirk and Sulu because everybody else just got here. I figure the party's ready to start. Um, and he's like, yeah, I brought him here. <laughs> and, and Jim immediately goes into Grim Jim. You know, what do you mean Ugh. you brought us here? <laughs> I, I love his, the Grim Jim bit. I, I, I love how amazing it is that he goes from zero to 60. And they're always like, <laughs> you know, your 60 is like my five. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things that Trelane is actually overjoyed that he has, you know, all these people around. And it's one of those things of, you know, he's an insane God who will do anything to satisfy his all enveloping need for, I guess, company. Right. Um, (laughs) Well, oh, and to your point, he introduces himself as General Trelane retired. So again, I think he's still Q. He's not really named Trelane. That's just the name he picked. Cause he picked general and retired too. Like, why is he <laughs> retired general? Why can't he be a real general? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, this is, this is totally an affectation. <laughs> but the other thing he does is I think is really weird is he, he's like, hello everybody. It's so nice to meet you. I'm the general, blah, 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 blah. Uh, make yourselves at home. And then he immediately turns around and starts playing the piano, ignoring everybody. I'm like, <laughs> who does that? Can you imagine if you did that when bringing people into your house? Like, Hey everybody, how's it going? And then immediately picked up the Xbox and started ignoring everybody. <laughs> wow. Hey everybody, come on over. Hey, I'm having a party. Oh, hey, who wants to listen to my demo? Right? <laughs> Ugh. Anyway. So then Trillane finally turns around after he's done with his song and decides to tell them just who the heck he is. <laughs> so Earth is his hobby of his, and he's he's puzzled because he thinks he keeps on referring to um to things of the past. And he's puzzled that the fact that they can fly through space. And so the device that they do here, and it's a little off mm. is that Jaeger starts noticing that all the stuff around here looks from a certain time period. And the number of light years we, we are from earth. If somebody were just looking at a telescope, they would be seeing this particular time period. Now, unfortunately we get a little bit off because they posit that as 900 years, which would put Star Trek in the 27th century. Uh, so when, when talked to later, Leonard Nimoy said, yeah, it would put Star Trek in the 27th century. However, if you check his math, it's actually the 28th. Okay. Um, okay. But it, it still doesn't work. I think it's, it's a lot more likely that this guy could actually see backwards or could actually see the earth and could see various different time periods. And this just happened to be the one he liked. I can go with that. Right. Cause if you technology take a look is, at you, everything that's around there, it's all roughly the same time period. Yes. So I'm guessing he, he was watching the late 17, 1700s to early 1800s. And that's about what he was happy with. So Kirk has to point out Trillane's error and not his error in the math that we just talked about, but his error in the fact that, yeah, no, we don't, act like this anymore we don't dress like that we dress in these fine velour tunics and black pants and cool boots now and we fly around in spaceships 
And Trelane is a little taken aback because Trelane is a little surprised he could be wrong about something. You know how you wear those pantaloons? Well, <laughs> we now have chinos. Thank you very much. <laughs> Progress. I do like where, where Trelane is, is talking about how much he enjoys, you know, the wars that Earthmen have had and, and, Jim tells him, oh, no, no, we're peaceful now all the time while Jim looks like he's about ready to kick Trillian's butt. Right? We're peaceful. If you don't notice how peaceful we are, I'm going to kick your butt. (laughs) Trillian's like, yeah, 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 whatever. It's war. (laughs) War's cool. I want to do war. Let's do war. I want to do war. (laughs) Uh, So, of course, to show how peaceful humans are now DeSalle reaches for his gun seriously there's always one in every away mission there's that one hothead who's like i just can't wait to shoot me an alien and then every time they start talking about peace somebody's got to be like now it's time to get in a fight that's how we make peace and it's you know what it's it's not fair to leave that on the original series all star trek has that problem oh yes Right. They're they're always talking about how they want to make peace and I'm going to force you to make peace. If it's the last thing I beat out of you, Uh, I will kill as many people as I need to, to get around here. Uh, They definitely believe in breaking eggs to make an omelet. So, so DeSalle or Trelane starts speaking French. And it <laughs> sounds like, oh, blah, 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 blah. That, that's the extent of my French, by the way. I subscribe to the Joey Tribbiani school of French. Uh, blah, blah. Uh, anyway. So I do like how, okay, he finds out DeSalle is, is a, a French descent. So he goes into the f- speaking French. When it comes to Sulu, he does the whole honorable sir thing and does the the deep bow. Which I I really liked that uh, Sulu was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) He's kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But here's Jaeger's name. Jaeger's name. Depends on who's saying it because McCoy called him Jaeger. Yes, that was pretty good. And Spock called him Jaeger. So, but when he finds out, he starts babbling in German. However, when it comes to McCoy, the Irish name, he just pretty much blows him off. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Well, okay. Oh, so, you're a doctor? Yeah, that's great. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, Mr. Doctor. <laughs> I do like really that cool he, he goes into his little German tirade, which is clearly like, you know, the Broadway version of making fun of Germans. And we, <laughs> we prove once again that from 1938 onwards, <laughs> it will forever be okay to make fun of Germans. <laughs> I that's just Hollywood. Uh, that's, I don't make the rules. Uh, honestly, I'm just glad he didn't break out into something from Cabaret. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it did feel very Nazi-ish, and I was like, "Huh? They they do realize they're talking about this guy is supposed to know only know about Germans from like before the 1800s. <laughs> so like, that's a little different." <laughs> Anyway, so we get the the weird shot of uh, it, it almost looks like um, Tremaine or Trelane is doing his daily affirmations in the mirror, <laughs> and we can see DeSalle sneaking up behind him. 
<laughs> which this is just the thing to sell. And I know they probably don't cover this in the Academy, but when a dude's looking into a huge mirror, sneaking up from behind may not be the move you want to go with. Right. Also, while they didn't illustrate this in this show, if you're firing a laser pistol, maybe don't shoot at the mirror. <laughs> just saying might not work out. <laughs> So as soon as he gets close enough, all of a sudden, boom, he freezes because Trelane, you know, he sees him in the mirror. He loves to freeze people. He freezes him. Yep. Um, and I, I love that that then he walks up to him and he just casually plucks that phaser right out of his hand. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> he figures out which one is the uh, the disintegrate button and which one is the stun. When he finds the disintegration button, he just starts going nuts on the interior of his house. He knocks out a statue and then he knocks out the bird costume that, well, it's the bird costume we saw in the full cut of the cage. Yeah. Well, it's the unaired cut of the, cage. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I've, we've never actually seen this one before. It, it, it does exist somewhere. I've looked through production notes a couple times trying to figure out, you know, where is this cut exist? And I can't find one that actually exists. If somebody else knows, by all means, let me know. Cause I have no idea. Oh, are we on the bridge? How about that? <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's the bird costume that was in the hallway around the corner on the cage that apparently um, in, in one cut, they were supposed to go and try to, to uh, free all of the other creatures that were being held. And the bird creature was one of them. Or maybe That's, it was, yes, they were asked yes. to free them or something. Um, also the first statue that he shot was the M one, one, three creature. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. I did. I couldn't see it quite on that. Uh, I was a little surprised that, uh, McCoy didn't turn around and go, Nancy, <laughs> <laughs> it would have been awesome. <laughs> now, had it been lower decks, he totally would. have. <laughs> <laughs> so after Trelade goes ahead and like wipes out some of his interior decorating. <laughs> Kirk grabs the phaser back in a very, uh, very give me that type right. manner. Um, and then and Trelane picks that moment to be like, oh no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. See, here's what I do. I create everything in here out of matter that already exists. And I just move it around. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And Kirk's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> it you was, do what for the who now? Right. Um, and Trelane's just like, you wouldn't understand. It's a holodeck thing, whatever. <laughs> you don't get it. I don't really understand why he chose that moment to describe it. It was really just kind of weirdly placed. But, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Kirk's like, you mean like the transporter? He's like, oh, geez. I knew you were going to say that transporter thing. Those things are so yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so Trillane gets bored explaining all this stuff and Kirk says, well, you know what? We're out of here. And so Trillane has to do a little flex here and he transports Kirk outside of the little atmosphere bubble that he has going on, on Gothos. And so Kirk ends up breathing a lot of really, really bad second hand smoke. Yeah. It totally looked like a seventies Denny's. It was just <laughs> like, the, the the smoke just stuck to it. Really, it, I gotta admit, it did look like cigarette smoke. <laughs> it really did. Like they they just had the whole crew stand there, like, all right, everybody, pull out a lucky, let's do this. 
<laughs> so he, he brings him back in and Kirk's like, <clears throat> wow, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Did that suck? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so then we go back to the bridge. And, and Spock is uh, telling us that he's rerouted the impulse power into the sensors to scan the planet. So wait, what? Hold on. I, to be fair, I'm pretty sure that the enterprise D has moved impulse power around to all kinds of stuff in so much as the power that would go to the impulse engines, like reroute power from the impulse engines. Right. But you have, you have a matter antimatter chamber that is putting off tons of energy and you're not in warp right now. Why would you need more power? No, no, no. This baby's electric. I just need that 1.21 gigawatts to give it the boost it needs. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. It, it makes no sense. But Scotty that's, is like, you know what? I Sure, that's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, can we get more power? Yeah, I could. I, I, I could reroute the impulse power into the transfers. <laughs> you can do that? Sure. Uh, I, I've just invented something. It's called an EPS conduit. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever have to say that again. <laughs> so, uh, so back on the planet, Trelane is just going on and on and on about how wonderful war is. He's a fun guy. Oh, man. He's got a one-track mind. <laughs> uh <laughs> So Sulu, Kirk, and McCoy are all huddling because, you know, nothing is in any way suspicious about everybody huddling in one spot. But they're like, hey, um, so do you do you know what's going on? No, I don't know what's going on either. And McCoy's like, I know what's going on. I scanned him. He's not there. <laughs> and they're like, oh, so what do you mean? He's Is he different? And he's like, no, he's not there. <laughs> I, at, the, at this point, Jaeger's pointing out, it's like, you know, something else is kind of weird. Like, okay, the fireplace, fireplace looks cool and sounds right, but it's not putting off any heat. It's like one of those YouTube videos that you put up for the Yule log. <laughs> Kirk's um, like, oh yeah, I, I have one of those in my apartment. It's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Jaeger, Jaeger's played by an actor named Richard Carlisle. Um he was born in Ontario, Canada back in 1914. He had a really prolific uh, um, stage and less screen, but did do quite a bit and worked from 1950 from 19 to 1994. So he had quite the career. Yeah, 44 Primarily years. He was in dramas, but he wasn't an episode of B- Brady Bunch. So, hey, you know, there's that. <laughs> That's the um, way he became. No, no. <laughs> Um, his, his longest tenure is he worked a long time for the LA theater West and, uh, and eventually, uh, had a long, good career and passed away in 2009 at the age of 95. Holy crap. 95. That's amazing. So he worked all the way up until he was 80. Wow. Nice job, Richard. Um, <laughs> so Kirk is like, well, this guy seems like he's pretty stupid. So let's, <laughs> let's exploit that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not sure why they're so surprised at the idea of this guy being a hologram though. Like think about the adventures they've been on. Um, they went to, uh, they, they fought a little bald kid who was able to manifest holograms with a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. 
they uh, fought the, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm totally Wait. blanking. Also, the thing is, is like this, everything he's done so far is not that different from Charlie X. We've seen Charlie yeah, do Charlie very was similar things. So, so we, we don't think that's weird. Um, <laughs> what was the, the planet with the giant cat? Um, uh, I forgot the name of the planet and the cat's paw. The cat's paw, yeah. Um, yeah. But what was what was the bad guy on that? It was the totally the blanking. Li- the little um, uh, yeah, the dude with the wand. Yeah, the, lady with the, the, wand. the guy with the magic wand. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Again, he yeah, they uh, he was yeah. Wow, this so is, in fact, in this fact, is he described it the exact we're, same we're way making right now. What's that? He he, exi- he described it the exact same way. Exactly. He would oh, yeah. transfer matter into illusions to make them all believe what he wanted them to believe. That oh, was yeah, also the first time the that same, they... This is written by the same guy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can't believe I didn't see that before. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> riveting, <laughs> riveting entertainment, everybody. Here we go. <laughs> oh. So, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, uh. <laughs> so Kirk appeals to Trelane's love of martial virtue and tells him, you know, we all have jobs to do and it would be bad for us not to be doing our jobs because we're these great military men. So we need to do our jobs. And Trelane's like, you know what? Hang out, have fun. It's not like I've killed you yet. And it's totally cool. <laughs> Kirk's like, Ah, that would be a real shame if the women found out we were killed. (laughs) Women? Did you say women? (laughs) The look on Kirk's face also is just like, oh, I am such an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) She's Louise. And Kirk's like, "Uh, no, you you can't have any women. (laughs) It's like, oh, no, I can. (laughs) So this this really gets me, though. Why is it that Trelane didn't just snap his fingers and boom, all the women are there. Like if that's really what he was going to do anyway, why didn't he just do that? No. Instead, he lets things get all cattywampus first. (laughs) It's, it's part of that thing he was about to do it, but Kirk is really good at telling omnipotent beings. No, all Starfleet captains are, they all have the ability to be Q. Get off my bridge. <laughs> no cue. I'm not going to mate with you. <laughs> right. They're all just like, I don't care how omnipotent you are. Like just once I want to see a, a Federation captain stand up to a cue or something and just be like, you listen to me and have that cue. Just be like, you're gone. <laughs> so anyway, I own your ship now. <laughs> We're really, really looking. I guess that's the difference between Starfleet captains that get television shows based on them and the ones that don't. (laughs) It's that thin line. Aw, Liam Shaw. Can Hmm. you intimidate an omnipotent being? See, that's that's why Shaw is Shaw. (laughs) Harumph. Anyway. (laughs) Maybe they could shoot him down to the uh, down to the uh, Genesis planet. Seriously, Shaw on Genesis. Shaw on Genesis. Let's go. So uh, suddenly McCoy's like, hey, I got a transporter signal. This is weird. We got four bars, baby. And Kirk's like, all right, let's go. Zoop. <laughs> and Trelane's like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. And just snags him right back. 
<laughs> At least that's how it would go if I wrote it. <laughs> so they beam up and uh, they say, hey, wow, Spock, thanks. Thanks for beaming us up. But how did you know it was us? And Spock's <laughs> like, I don't know. I just saw some life forms there and just beamed right. them up, dude. <laughs> I figured, you know, the humans were the ones I wanted. <laughs> You know how your tricorder couldn't tell that he was there? I couldn't either. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's got to be a, what are the chances? Okay, I'll give you, I'll bet you five bucks, Scotty, that it's actually them. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll bet yeah. you credits to Navy P. <laughs> <laughs> so and I am racking up so many Navy beans. <laughs> Everybody's just like, well, that was cool. Thanks, Spock. And later, and they all leave the room. <laughs> and I like that, okay, there's this just this shot, this weird shot that everybody leaves the transporter room and Spock stops and before he goes out. He just goes over the console and like hits a switch and then walks out like to turn okay. something off or on or. So there's a couple things here. Because first off, there is a transporter chief in there. He's right. He's on the console. You can see him in the frame when Spock does this. So why didn't he hit the button Two, I want to know if that was stage direction or if that was a Nimoy choice that he was like, you know, I came in here, I flipped a switch. So I got to flip it off when I leave or are you like, he had some, something playing out in his head and he's like, I got to hit that switch. And I'll have to give it, it's just one of those small things, but it gives the air that they're actually in some sort of functioning device. Yeah, totally. And as stupid as it is, because like logically I'm like, there's no way that was a thing, but I I do love the life that these folks breathed into characters by doing stuff like that. Yes. Right. And again, it's silly, but silly, but they took it seriously enough to, to try to create something to to create a, I hate to to create a world of, um, uh, galaxy quest when they first get on the bridge of the ship. And they're like, all right, go ahead and take us out. And the, the kid is sitting there in the pilot seat and he's like, <laughs> I don't know how this works. And they're like, they designed it by watching your movements. And he's like, oh yeah, I had this whole thing planned out. And so now the ship works by everything he did. It's just like you breathe life into that character and suddenly it's canon. <laughs> Somewhere there's some technical manual that says, if you don't flip that switch, the transporter room will explode. <laughs> And I'm wondering if it was one of those kind of uh, passive aggressive things rather than uh, Spock tell the guy, hey, don't forget to do that. He just walks over and clicks it right in front of him. (laughs) There you go, (laughs) O'Neill. So when we get up to the the bridge, um, we notice that, hey, Lieutenant Leslie is sitting in the center seat. Yay! Yay! Lieutenant Uh, Leslie. Incidentally, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie will get a chance to do this again in the episode, The Alternative Factor. (laughs) Which, that's probably the high point of that particular episode. Right? Uh, Also, (laughs) Uhura is clearly staring daggers into his back. (laughs) Can you blame her? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. She wasn't doing that. She was talking to McCoy. She's like, so... Can you tell me what was down there? And McCoy's like, uh, well, um, hmm, I, you know, it's just not worth it discussing. <laughs> or actually, no, he says, oh, forget it. And just stops talking. And you're like, well, 
this was kind of a big deal. This was like, you guys just met an omnipotent being who just like totally screwed with you. And you don't think it's worth talking about? <laughs> like, what do you think is worth talking about? I took it as there was one a pretty things, girl down there. You'd be talking about it. <laughs> I took it as one of those things of you're going to have to buy me a drink or two before I can. <laughs> right. I just can't go back there, man. <laughs> So then, in classic, I swear I'm not Q fashion, Trelane pops into existence on the bridge. <laughs> Incidentally, in a very fancy cape to go with his revolutionary jacket. <laughs> and so, being, you know, trying to act like he's from the uh, 18th century, he brings all the little racism with him as well. <laughs> oh, does he ever? so he asks because he tells kirk you know what i'm not really mad at you i get it but whoever this dude spock was who like found out how to beam you away i want to know who that guy is and uh spock basically says yeah that's me i am spocticus (laughs) (laughs) and and trelane does the whole thing is like well he's he's not an officer is he i mean he's not quite human and i like the way that spock gets out of his chair (laughs) and tells him, yeah, well, you know, my dad wasn't human, but the manner in which he gets out of his chair is kind of the, and what are you going to do about it? Right. (laughs) He he definitely had that air about him of, I'm about to come across there if you don't shut up. (laughs) Also, why is he defending that? Why isn't he like, you're not human either. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. And so the first question Trelane asked him is, oh, really? Are they predatory? Predatory? <laughs> and Spock's like, not generally, but there have been exceptions. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, that's as much of a threat as you get from Spock, I have to say. <laughs> is he suggesting that at first Vulcans ate anybody who came to their planet? <laughs> Well, not anybody. I mean, if he wasn't <laughs> suggesting it, I am. Cause that's an awesome storyline. <laughs> also, I did like that, that he was like, all right, so, uh, Kirk, you're going to want to see to his punishment. And Kirk's like, uh, no, <laughs> I like what he did. And I'm like, you, you should have defended that a little differently than I'm not going to punish him now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. So Trelane waves his hand and boom, everyone is that is on the bridge is now back at Trelane's place. In a fancy dining room. Which breaks the rule, never go to a second location with an omnipotent being. That's, that's true. That's, that's absolutely yeah. true. It's <laughs> never worked out for anyone. That's how you find out that Worf is not a merry man. <laughs> <laughs> so LaSalle immediately is like, well, I don't want to be here. So he just pretty much gets up and uh, acts like he's going to kick Trelane's butt. And of course, Trelane does what Trelane does. He freezes him because it's LaSalle. (laughs) He doesn't let him go. But, and then Sulu has to remind him, dude, we we don't even have guns. Right. (laughs) I, so I think that Sulu definitely got a great line there. Um, because it was, it was very much not like, we do not have what we need for this. It was, we don't even have guns. (laughs) It was awesome. (laughs) How are we supposed to do anything if we don't have our guns? Right. So 
now we know that DeSalle never learns anything. <laughs> I do like that Trelane then invites everybody to sit down at a huge banquet table and everyone's kind of not too sure about it. But then he pours a drink for McCoy and McCoy's just like, all right. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. Oh, this looks like a good idea. Hey, man, win in row. Yeah, well, now we're going to get real cringy because Trelane's going to walk over and see the women who, for some reason, have been off camera this whole scene. <laughs> and now we find out that they are behind the cameraman. So they turn the whole thing around and Trelane goes over to talk to them. And it is Uhura and uh, 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 Yeoman Ross. Yeoman Ross. Uh, Yeoman Ross is a tall, thin, blonde woman. And Uhura is Nichelle Nichols. And the um, the scene gets creepy and weird real fast. <laughs> so first he retur- he refers to her as a Nubian prize taken in, taken in one of your raids of conquest, no doubt, Ugh. which does not sit well with Uhura. Funny though, one account claims that he flubbed the line originally and referred to her as a Nubian slave, which Nichelle Nichols liked much, much less than that. <laughs> yeah. Apparently when he made that flub, she looked him in the eye and said, I'm going to kick you in the ankle, <laughs> which is kind of an odd thing to say anyway, but whatever. <laughs> it might've been, it might've been euphemized and cleaned up for the, uh... <laughs> right. <laughs> I do like though, as he's going on about, Oh, she looks just like the queen of Sheba. Uhura gives the best. Can you believe this guy's BS? Right to Kirk. (laughs) Oh man. The eye roll had to hurt. Oh my God. So in classic sixties, uh, methodology, now he sees the young skinny blonde. And so now he's really entranced (laughs) and he's like, hello. Now one thing, and I'm not, I'm not really knowledgeable about stage, but a number of people pointed out he does a line from, I believe, a Dr. Faustus about Helen of Troy, and he flubs that line as well. They leave yep. it in, but he gets a he gets a word wrong in there as well. Yeah, he's not really great at his recitations, to be honest. And, and it's obvious that Spock is really annoyed by this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Spock's really into theater. Um, it's kind of his thing. I mean, we know he likes Shakespeare. So the yeoman that's with them is uh, Yeoman Ross, and she's played by Vanita Wolf. Um, she's born in 1945, and she had a very short television career between uh, 66 and 69. Um, she was a model. She won numerous beauty contests. The She was queen of the 1962 May Festival in Orange, um, and she was named Miss Orange County Press Club. There must have been a lot more beauty pageants back then. <laughs> um, she was also a Playboy cover model in 1967. Uh, she, the, the year after that, she decided to retire from acting uh, and get married to Skip Taylor, who managed the blues rock band Canned Heat. Uh, they had two kids before they got divorced in 1972. Uh, unfortunately, at age 69, she passed away in 2014 in her home. Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. So Spock and Trelane, they are going to face off now. <laughs> this, this results in one of my favorite all-time lines of Star Trek. Because Trelane is kind of like, well, what, are you challenging me? And Spock tells him, no, I object to you. I object to intellect without discipline. I object to power without constructive purpose. That is an insult. 
That is really good. Spock really, this whole first season, Spock's got some great insults. <laughs> Very rarely is he like, I think that you're a jerk. <laughs> no, he's always like, I object to intellect without discipline. And everybody's like, whoa, burn. <laughs> That's one of those things that, do you think he just came up with that? Or is he in his, uh, he in his quarters at times like, you know what? Uh... Yeah. You know, when he's quote unquote <laughs> meditating, he's like, you know what I would have said if that jerk said that to me? <laughs> <laughs> Now, Trillian actually even thinks it's funny and, and tells Spock that, you know, you, you, you do have one saving grace. You're ill-mannered, which I, which I have to say I thought was pretty funny. Uh, now, then he goes into Beetlejuice mode and he, he says, hey, Ahura, why don't you play us something on the harpsichord? And she's like, I don't know how to play. And he's like, yes, you do. And he snaps his fingers and suddenly she's playing the harpsichord. And then he's like, hey, Ross, come over here. Dance with me. And she's like, I don't know how to dance. He's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> and so they start dancing to the music. Now Sulu hops up and it, my first reaction was, Oh, Sulu's about to start some crap. Here we go. And then I realized now he kind of looks like he's, he's like, Oh, it's time to dance. Let's go. <laughs> he, it, it was, it was kind of weird the way he, he jumped up. <laughs> this is the, the last, uh, this is the last thing that, that Sulu really gets to do in, in this episode is uh, he gets up and he starts talking a little bit of crap to McCoy. But uh, I did want to point out, this is the episode where uh, George Takei decided that he was going to come out to the, the crew or cast that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now what I found really interesting about this though, is when he came out, he, um, I mean, obviously, especially at this time, that was a, a hard thing to do. And to his credit, for all the crap we give him, Roddenberry said, uh, so George is, uh, is gay. Does anybody have a problem with that? Because if you do, you're against everything that this show stands for. Yeah. And apparently everybody was like, no, we're, we're good. And unfortunately, after the show ended, uh, Takei did actually have a hard time getting work sometimes um, because of that. And uh, Roddenberry sat down with him at one point and said, listen, as long as I'm alive, you're going to have work. That's not, a, don't worry about it. And, uh, they remained friends until the end. And, uh, apparently because of that, George stood up and spoke for him at, at, uh, Gene's funeral too. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I had no idea how much of a role, uh, Gene had played in that, that part of George's life. It's, it's really oh, impressive, right. especially yeah. for that time. But anyway. That's really interesting. Um, so McCoy wanders over at the same time that, that Sulu wanders over and he's drinking out of his brandy <laughs> snifter. He's, he's complaining. This stuff is awful. It didn't <laughs> keep you from bringing it from the table over to the little dude. meeting. Didn't do it. <laughs> and nobody calls BS on any of this stuff until McCoy's like, yeah, you know, the food sucks, right? And uh, <laughs> this booze is super weak. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you hang out with a uh, omniscient being, you, you really think the food's going to be better. I mean, uh, in no joke, seriously. <laughs> like if I was hanging out with Q and he just magicked up a spread in front of me and I take a, a bite of it and it tastes like cardboard, I'd be like, dude, listen, I get that you're going to toy with me until you ultimately destroy me. Fine. But at least give me a good steak or something. Come on. 
you always got to find that weakness that beans like this have. And you, you know, <laughs> but I'm trying to figure out how you exploit It's like, they can't cook without the dam. Right? <laughs> I want, I want to be confronted by the omnipotent being that makes amazing food, but is colorblind. I'm fine with that. Let's do that. <laughs> so the, Spock is, uh, is still squaring off with Trelane. <laughs> He even has to go through this whole thing of like, he's not even worth calling fascinating. I know. Right? <laughs> yeah, he's cool. I guess <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, they instantly go from, you know, he's made a few mistakes here to there must be a machine. He couldn't be doing this himself. Yes. He's kind of an idiot. So he can't be all powerful. Right. Really? You know, like that bald kid we met. <laughs> Or the guy with the magic wand. Yeah, no, no. He couldn't be like them. <laughs> so Trelane is dancing with Ross and decides, you don't quite look the part. So he goes, boing, and she's now in a in a lavish dress, a lavish formal dress. Yeah, I don't think Jim liked that very much. He, uh, he kind of acts like he had her on deck at the, back <laughs> of the, the ship and was like, yeah. <laughs> Who is really getting off on the fact she can play harpsichord though? Seriously. She's got a big old grin on her face. Like <laughs> it, it looked like she really enjoyed herself. <laughs> and then Jim notices Trillane's looking at himself in the mirror. And he's like, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, darn it. <laughs> people like me. Uh, <laughs> okay. This whole sequence gets a little weird. Dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> Can you say logical fallacy? <laughs> so let me get this straight. He makes mistakes. Therefore, there's a machine. He stands near a mirror. Therefore, the machine must be in the mirror. And the thing is, the machine that's keeping us alive could be so small that it's just behind the mirror. <laughs> so there has to be a second bigger machine someplace else that I don't have to worry about ruining. So therefore my only option is to destroy that mirror and the machine inside. Cause it won't affect the other machine. And this is all coming. This is all coming from the hard data of he's an awful cook and he likes to look at himself in the mirror. Yep. <laughs> you know what? That makes perfect sense to me. Man, Star Trek has a lot of fallacies. <laughs> Again, this is one of those things. Maybe we just get to see, maybe the shows are just based on the captains that really got lucky enough that, you know, this sort of thing didn't come back and bite them in the butt. Right. <laughs> no, you know what it is? The writers are sitting there going, why does everybody like this? We're trying to show how bad these people are at this. Stuff. <laughs> this was supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> So Kirk starts insulting Trelane again so that he'll stop dancing. And then he's like, I don't like your tone. And so he like gets all weirdly jealous and stuff. And Ross <laughs> is like, what? Yeah, I know. He, he tells Ross, I don't want you dancing with him. I don't want you taking things from him. And he does the whole jealous bit. And Ross is just, she looks really confused. I'm sorry, what? Wait, wait, what's going on here? Sir, you didn't tell me your plan. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim then 
challenges Terlane to a duel with a, with a backhand slap. Slap, slap. <laughs> um, yeah, it didn't match up very well. Um, yes. It's awesome. Even in the remaster, the sound did not match. <laughs> you, you see you see the face go to the side and then here whap <laughs> right <laughs> that's all right Trelane's super happy about this he's like oh ooh, ooh, i get to use my toys i get to use my toy <laughs> and he runs over and he grabs a box with replica hamilton burr pistols in it <laughs> um it, it is kind of weird how he takes them out of the box though because he takes one out and he's like now, don't you try any funny stuff. I'm really good at this. And he points the gun directly in Jim's face and like rests the barrel on his cheek. Like, That's not how duels work, right? <laughs> anyway, this is clearly the guns that, that uh, Kirk has hanging in his apartment. I, I oh, think yes. you're right. I think you're in right. Star Trek three. That's uh, the San Francisco apartment. They looked really, really familiar. Ooh, I wonder if it's the same props. That'd be pretty cool. Ooh. Oh, I have a search to do. Anyway, <laughs> I'm giddy as excitement. We learned on shore leave that Kirk just likes to take guns away from people and not really give them back. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And, and now we know from, from that episode, we know that Sulu is sitting in the corner, just salivating over seeing these guns. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Can I shoot one? <laughs> So Trelane is giddy and he's like, all right, so here's how the duel works. You stand there. I'm going to shoot at you. Kirk's like, uh, that's, that, that's not how these work. And he's like, well, it's my game. So stand there. I'm going to shoot at you. <laughs> Kirk's like, no. And he's like, okay, then I'm going to shoot Spock. <laughs> and Spock's like, dude. <laughs> and he's halfway looking at it. like, you know, Jim, I can probably take a bullet a lot better than you can. Right. <laughs> Jim's like, nah, screw it. Just shoot me. That's fine. <laughs> so Trelane pulls the whole Hamilton thing and uh, he points the gun at Kirk, but then raises the gun into the air and shoots the shoots the gun into the air. One, two, three, four, five, six. I'm oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> so Jim shoots the mirror. And when he shoots the mirror at first, it's mirror breaks lots of smoke, lots of sparks. And you're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden it sounds like the clock at this. It's a small world. Which is like, boing, 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 slide whistles and all kinds of stuff. Seriously, this is supposed to be the serious climax of this show. And it's like, what's the goofiest noises we can possibly make here? Okay, so I do need to know. I've I've got a couple freeze frames I made of this of this uh, prop. I need to know what was inside that mirror because that there was all kinds of like maybe electronics, maybe pumping gadgets, stuff like that. I, I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> and both the remaster and the original, I couldn't make it out. So I took a, a couple pictures. I'm going to post them onto Blue Sky and see if some of my uh, prop aficionados out there can help me out to find something. Cause uh, we've got a couple folks out there who are really good at this. Yorga, we could use your help on this. Right. <laughs> anyway. So Trelane's really unhappy about this. I can't imagine why they did just shoot his toy. <laughs> My beautiful mirror. <laughs> but at least now the comms are open. And so they're like, Hey, 
Um, hey, uh, can we get out of here? <laughs> <laughs> so they get back to the ship. Kirk calls for emergency warp, which, okay. And yeah. So he, he walks in and he's like, emergency warp, get us out of here, Sulu. And he plops down in his chair and immediately picks up a clipboard and pencil and starts <laughs> writing notes. Like now's the time to do paperwork. <laughs> I, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are just reams and reams of paperwork to do after this mission. But <laughs> You'd think maybe you wait until you get a little further away. This is why he was so anxious to get get back when he was down on the planet the first time. Oh, because his tax returns were due? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, he's he's got quarterlies due and... uh... (laughs) Yeah, right? Oh, my budget projections. I forgot my budget projections. Dude... Dude, you can't leave me down here. I was planning on going through a star desert and get it, catching up on paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> so Ahura's like, uh, sir, would you like me to call command? And Jim's like, um, yeah, we should probably wait on that. I don't want them to like uh, follow our beams. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Wait, what? I mean, in all fairness, I get it. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to create a cell signal and then they can triangulate the towers, you know, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> and then Ro- oh. Ross asks if she can change. And then Jim just, just some weird flirting with her and does that cool, creepy grin thing that he does after when she's walking off the bridge. Well, and he refers to her as Cinderella. Like, Oh, did you find your glass slipper? Oh, is Cinderella ready to change? Here, take my clipboard. Go ahead. I don't care. Oh, so gross. I don't know. Well, they're about to go to a heavy warp and all of a sudden they're like, sir, the planet, it's in front of us. (laughs) That should be there. Okay. So this scene, the planet pops up in front of him. Spock comes off of his little science station and comes up and stands next to him. And then they show the view screen as the planet, like, zigs and zags all over the place. Right. And I'm watching this and I'm like, that motion looks super weird. I'm going to look at the original. So I pull up the original and I started playing them side by side next to each other, the original and the remaster. And they're pretty close. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. They, they, they were, they, they had the planet and they were like, it was doing these like hard zigzags back and forth. (laughs) And then they like dove to the left to go around the planet. The only thing that was really different is in the remaster, they took all the color out. It it was like a red and yellow planet that actually looked pretty good. And for some reason they turned it into like this beige thing that, I I mean, it kind of gave more of the impression of it being a dead planet, but it was just kind of a weird choice. But yeah, the, uh, the weird movement, it was totally legit. It was there from, from all, both versions. Um, and then basically they, they try to, you know, dodge and duck a little bit to get around the planet and the planet keeps following or keeps showing up in front of him. And <laughs> Kirk's like, Sulu, are we going in circles? And I swear Sulu looks at him like, really dude. <laughs> First of all, ask the navigator. Second of all, right? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Kirk's like, you know what? This is BS. I'm going to take care of this. Be me to the planet. And, and they're like, I guess. And so Kirk heads off to the transporter room, but he doesn't, doesn't make, make it. it. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly he's in an English court chamber. Again, Q. 
I swear it's not Q. I swear it's not Q. Now, uh, at this point, um, we see Trelane sitting there at the at the desk, at the desk, at the what do you call the the judge's desk? Uh, the bench. The bench. Yes, he's at the bench, and he's uh, he's wearing his English wig. So originally, when they started to shoot this, it was actually a French hairpiece, and Campbell pointed out yeah that's not the wrong that's not the right thing for what you're going for here and really insisted we should find something better i guess shatner grew very annoyed at the fact that they halted shooting for the fact that they needed to find the proper wig and said this really isn't important but gene coon backed up campbell on it and they eventually found the the wig of the fits now, just to put this in perspective, the reason Shatner was so upset is because they paused shooting to find this wig for a day on a seven-day shoot. <laughs> that I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> he was not happy. <laughs> um, now, some stuff to notice in this room. Uh, the wall behind Kirk is blue. Uh, very similar pale shade of blue that was also in the previous room of the castle that they were in. <laughs> um, there are shadows all over the wall and you can see Kirk's shadow behind him. Uh, the remaster versus the original, cause I made it to this point before I turned off the original again, um, was kind of interesting in the original. You can actually see the whole room. Like there's a lot of detail in there oh. and in the remaster, they turned the lights way down to the uh, point where yeah. the little, the little bench thing that Kirk is standing at, you can't see the whole thing in the remaster because it's in so much shadow, but in the original, you can see it clear as day. Ah, uh. so I'm not really sure why they chose to do it that way. It's, it's an odd choice. I mean, they both kind of give the same mystique, but it was just weird that they changed the lighting so much. Yeah. Um, so Trelane is, uh, he, he tells Kirk, you know, I'm going to try you for treason and insurrection and the camera kind of slides over and you see that there's a noose on the wall or a, a shadow of a noose on the wall. Yes. However, if you look next to that shadow, you can also see that pretty clearly, and I think the remaster actually did this on accident. Pretty clearly you can see there is a spray paint mark on the wall where at one point this wall had a coat of arms, which was a shield with two uh, small axes on it <laughs> that was hanging on the wall. And somebody hit it with some spray paint while it was on the wall. <laughs> Cause there is a perfect outline of it right there. I thought That's that was great. Uh, clearly in the previous scenes, somebody was like, Oh, I'm going to touch up these pieces on the wall. Just give them a little more black to just kind of, you know, age them a little bit. <laughs> And then they're like, wait, we need to use this wall in the next scene. <laughs> oh, sorry. <Oops>. Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So Kirk does his normal thing of, you know, take me and let my ship go. I'm the one who broke your thingy. And Trelane's like, and you didn't think I've had other thingies. And Jim's like, okay, yeah, well, that's. But Jim does his normal thing. Okay, you know what? Faced with an omniscient, omniscient being, omnipotent being, what am I going to do? I'm going to get in his face. Yep. No, you're doing this all wrong. And it's one of those things that actually is like, this works out for him time and time again. I'm not sure how. Yeah. The universe but, teaches him that this is how you handle this situation. <laughs> <laughs> so Tulane says, you know what? I'm going to hang you. And, and Kirk's like, I'm not 
going to put my head in that thing. Right. Well, okay. So what I loved about this scene though, is that Kirk got all the way up to the bench and he's talking to him and Trelane gets down into his face and screams in his face. We're going to, I'm going to hang you from the neck until dead, 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 <laughs> which it turns out is actually a direct quote from Billy, the kid, uh, Billy, the kid reportedly was, or excuse me, from the judge who was going to hang Billy, the kid. Uh, reportedly that's what he said to Billy and Billy's response was, well, you can go to hell, hell, hell. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so so still looking for, looking for Kirk and not having a, not having a lot of luck. Um, Yeah. Once again, Spock is late for his 30 minute deadline and said, (laughs) I would leave you behind. And Trelate is just, overjoyed with how the whole thing is going you know what this has been fantastic you guys have been great you've had we've had so much fun here i cannot believe i got mad it was so cool this is wonderful i'm gonna kill you now jim (laughs) now we've got to get to the boring part i'm gonna kill you (laughs) and jim's like well that is kind of boring I mean, just hanging me anybody could say hey i mean just anybody do that but you wouldn't want to be dumb would you <laughs> i mean you know what were the other omnipotent, omnipotent beings think you know right <laughs> so you so know what you should do the whole thing of you know it would be really cool <laughs> you should hunt me they call ah. it the most dangerous game <laughs> you ever see deliverance <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're gonna do about half of that movie <laughs> I'll tell you when we're going to stop. I will tell you when we're going to stop. <laughs> so, Trillian's like, Trillian's oh, okay. So I <laughs> use a sword. I'm going to just stab you with this sword here, right? And Jim's Which, like, well, no, we'll do hide and go seek. And you have a sword. <laughs> See, it's really cool. By the way, I would like to point out that sword was made of such floppy rubber. Because <laughs> he picked it up and he he slapped it in the, into the palm of his other hand and it was just like... <laughs> <laughs> the thing that cracked me up is while Jim's talking about this whole hunt thing, he's got this look on his face as if, yeah, I've been hunted by people before and I know how to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, this isn't just entertaining for you. I like it too. <laughs> My first rodeo partner. <laughs> yeah, but so of they, course, being Jim Kirk, while you hunt me, you got to let go of my ship. Of course. Because my ship is everything. <laughs> my ship is everything. Okay. And Trillane tells him, well, yeah, you can call your ship if you have time while I'm trying to stab you. I mean, you know. Sure. And then he pops him outside on the front steps of the castle by himself where he has plenty of time to call his ship. <laughs> but unfortunately, Trillane doesn't let that signal go through. <laughs> no. Jim keeps on running from place to place going, get out, get out, get out, get out, Enterprise, get out. And that's when I find out Trelane's not really great at the whole seek thing. He's more of a blink into existence directly in front of you kind of guy. (laughs) It's kind of, I think that Paul Lynn used to do on, uh, on Bewitched, you know, uh, he was the uncle. Yeah. Pop in, pop out. I mean, he would pop in, but I don't recall him popping in with a sword and trying to kill people. (laughs) I guess maybe <laughs> only cause they didn't let him. <laughs> <laughs> I do like though, right at the very beginning, Trelane pops in 
swipes at Kirk and Kirk does the famous Kirk roll, but he does it so poorly. It's so bad. It's it rolls. Like he, he could have been sliced like three times by the time he got it's like it's like catching one of those YouTube videos of of a kid trying to be in a sword fight, and like he's rolling over, going, "Okay, <laughs> and now I stand up, and you swing your sword, just like yeah, like that. That's good. Oh, it's so bad. It's like Bill, you might want to stretch next time you right? before you do one of these. <laughs> and then he's gonna grab onto the tree and kick at Trelane to knock the sword out of his hand, which turns out not to have been a great idea. Cause of course Shatner did this and actually kicked Campbell. Yeah. And apparently during that kick, he dislocated Campbell's shoulder. What I loved about this though, is that his reaction to ow that hurts, which by the way, you can actually hear him yell for real because that hurt that bad. Uh, uh, is that's him going, ah, <laughs> and, uh, but it hurt so bad that he raised his arm up reflexively and popped it back in <laughs> that had to hurt so bad. <laughs> and of course, because of that, they lost another day of shooting. <laughs> and it is one of the things that you notice later after knowing this, because the hunt was one of the first scenes that was shot. Mm-hmm. You notice in the scenes inside the castle, how Campbell is is keeping the his one arm almost motionless. Yep, but it's he pretty he plays it off really well as if he's doing if, like a gentlemanly pose or everything. But then it makes way more sense. It's like, oh yeah, you could move that arm, dude. Totally. He probably had a brace on or something underneath. Yeah. Yeesh. All right, so Kirk, you know he. Oh, and uh, they come around the other side of the tree, and. Uh, um, Trelane takes another swipe at him and he cuts off a limb off the tree. They (laughs) did not make that a regular limb. That was just a piece of styrofoam. So when it cut off, it was just styrofoam underneath. (laughs) It was pretty obvious. Guys, come on. You got to make a fake tree limb here and paint it. Come on. Anyway, so Kirk starts running away again and keeps trying to call the ship. Oh my goodness. Um, so Trillian's really, really enjoying this. I will say that's true. He's just giggling the whole time. Even when Kirk picks up a branch and starts trying to use that as a sword and starts really just wailing on him. And Trillian's <laughs> laying on his back and Kirk's just like, bam, bam, bam. Although he forgets about the thing that he's using a piece of wood to chop at a sword. So eventually it cuts in half and he's like, uh, I gotta go. I gotta go. Bad plan. Bad plan. <laughs> So he runs back to the, to the castle and we get to something that I don't understand. So he runs back to the castle and he's standing on the steps and Trelane shows up and he basically blinks into existence bars on either side of Kirk. So he can't go left or right. He can only go towards Trelane. Cool. Here's the part I don't understand. They intentionally filmed this as a split screen so that they could quote, save money on editing. So if you look, it's pretty obvious that they filmed the split screen of the bars coming into fo- or coming into existence on either side and yes, and popped yeah. it. What I don't get is how that saves on editing because it seems like that would actually add quite a bit of editing to it. But every story that I read about this said that that's why they did the split screen was because it was supposed to be cheaper in the end. So I'm 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 
it boggles my mind. I can't figure that one out. I will say one thing. It was much cleaner than doing the stop mm-hmm. and then refilm because when you do that, you always get that little bit of movement that's oh, there. So was, and in this one, yeah. that was something I noticed is like, no, Kirk moved and that thing appeared, but there was no jolt of of Kirk's position at all. It was, it was all... So I'm not sure if it saved on mm. editing, but I will say it was way smoother than if they had done a, a stop, put the prop in, crank up the camera again. Maybe that's really what it was. Eh. Anyway, so yeah, uh, apparently that was that was the the easier way to go. But anyway, so these bars show up on either side of Kirk, and Trelane is like, "I'm gonna get you now." <laughs> and Kirk's like, "Well, that's fine, but remember." You said you were going to let my ship go. So if you're going to kill me, you got to do that first. Trelane's like, mm, nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, did I say that? That doesn't sound like me. All right. <laughs> I'm really more of a keep all my toys kind of guy. <laughs> it's time you learn that a verbal contract is not with the worth the paper it is written on. Right. <laughs> Kirk's like, you know what? You're a jerk. I don't think I like you at all. You're going to back down because that's what you said. And he snags his sword and breaks it over his knee. And Um, Trelane starts to get very, very flustered. And not so much defiant as he is pouting. True. Well, that's probably because Kirk resorts to doing the most Kirk thing he does for some reason. (laughs) He slaps him a couple times. You ever notice Kirk slaps people a lot? Yeah. Like yeah. He, he gets in fights and stuff, but he does a lot of slapping. <laughs> it's weird. It's one of the things I have to write down on a card. Encounter omnipotent being, slap them. That's right. <laughs> be, be defiant for no reason and slap them. <laughs> How different would have Star Trek V been if when the god creature showed up, you know, Right. Kirk just slapped him. Well, he also didn't ask the God creature to make him any food. So he, he didn't know how, how okay. omnipotent he was. Good point. Right. <laughs> so after he slaps, uh, Trelane, oops, sorry. So after he stra- slaps Trelane, he, uh, or Trelane says something that I just don't understand. <laughs> he looks at him and he says, Oh, I'll fix you for that. <laughs> this is a piece of, television 60s parlance that i really don't get the i'm gonna fix you i i'm gonna fix you good right they all say it in the 60s and it's usually kids and stuff and it's like i i wonder if it's if that's one of those things that like it was only on tv as a replacement for other words (laughs) or if that really was how kids were talking i i don't know all I can say is if an omnipotent being says, I'm going to fix you to me, I'm really hoping he doesn't mean like a dog. Oh, fair point. <laughs> All it takes is a snap of his fingers. Oof. <laughs> I'd be very worried at that point. Right? That's worse than the Marvel Universe. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All of a sudden, we hear a lady voice. Trelane. We're like, oh, wait, what? what's going on now? Even Kirk's like a lady. (laughs) Ooh, it's a lady. (laughs) And it's actually Barbara Babcock who 
she's doing the female voice in this. I'm not going to go into her right now because she's going to trek a few more times and we will deal with Miss Babcock when she treks again. Yay. And we actually see her face. Wait, so um, she doesn't always look like an energy sphere floating in the sky? <laughs> no, most of the time she looks like a very upper crust, snooty blonde woman. There we are. <laughs> Uh, the f- male voice that comes up is Bart LaRue, who was a good friend of Jimmy Doohan's, um, supplied a lot of voices actually throughout Star Trek. You're going to see him pop in again, uh, doing voiceovers for newsreels and, and patterns of force and things of other, things of that nature. Um, but very good friend of, of Jimmy Doohan's and Barbara and Bart just appear to be the shimmering energy globes or orbs, I guess. Orbs, the, globes, the visual orbs. representation of wah, 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 wah. <laughs> And the voices of, of the two characters are basically unloading on Trulane as if he's a very small boy. Which makes a lot of sense because compared to them, he's very tiny. <laughs> they tell him come in Trelane. it's time for you to you're not taking proper care of your pets and Trelane is just melting down it's like no i want to i want to stay here oh jeez and jim starts to get the idea oh boy okay well actually was he doesn't even need the idea because barbara along. babcock's voice tells him straight out this is our fault our kid's a brat sorry right. Well, and there, there definitely was that, that kind of mellow undertone of like, yeah, we probably should have disciplined him more. <laughs> uh, being nice to your kid is not good. Don't do that. <laughs> this was supposed to be an anti-war story and it right? just kind of takes a turn at the end. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> but I want to. And then of course he's got to repeat one phrase over and over and over yes. again. So that he can disappear because it's impossible to disappear on Star Trek unless you say one word over and over and over and over. And over. And over. <laughs> yeah. oh my I woulda, I woulda, I woulda. <laughs> well, I, I, I love that he, I woulda won. And you're like, okay, okay, whatever. And then he says, I woulda, I woulda. And you're like, nobody talks like that. What are you doing? <laughs> That's it. He just disappeared anyway. So we're good. Also, what did his parents do to him? Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, they said they were going to punish him. And I was just like, I don't even want to think about what that right? looks like. On How do you punish an scale? omnipotent being? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you are going to live on Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we go back to the Enterprise and they're going to arrive at the incredibly fascinatingly named beta six colony <laughs> and spock's like so how do we classify him because we have to classify him everyone's gets classified not nicholas cage but everybody else gets classified <laughs> <laughs> nicholas cageian oh uh <laughs> kirk's like yeah classified that sounds like a good idea we should make sure he's classified uh no uh, Kirk j- says some weird stuff that was like, you know, well, maybe he's a God, maybe he's a small boy, you know, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> he's like, Hey, Hey Spock, you remember being a small boy, right? Dipping girls, pigtails and ink wells and throwing cans at girls and sexually assaulting people. Like it, 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 he was weird. <laughs> no, uh, Spock's like, 
No, I was verbally and physically abused by my classmates for most of my childhood. So <laughs> right. thanks for thanks for reminding me. Appreciate it. Also, uh, I wasn't born in the 1930s in America. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and I don't have a sister. Stop asking me. Seriously, though, the, the thing that kills me about this is I understand the writers saying something like dipping girls' pigtails in inkwells. These people live five to 900 years in the future. (laughs) (laughs) They have no idea what an inkwell is. (laughs) Inkwells make a big comeback in the 22nd century. I'm just telling you. (laughs) That's how we know Kirk's a hipster. He only writes with fountain pens. He's got Which his tiny, awful his, on those pads because he can't get know, this right? stuff off. <laughs> he got his tiny little reading glasses and his, his uh, ink pens. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So again, I swear it's not Q, but this is totally Q. <laughs> all in all, this is a great episode. I absolutely love this episode. It's yes. so dumb, but it's got one of the f- most fantastic sci-fi twists ever. Uh, the, this omnipotent being who's been harassing you turns out to just be a little kid who's playing with his toys. They totally stole it from the twilight zone, but, (laughs) (laughs) but Hey, and they totally stole most of what happens in this from the previous episode that the same writer wrote, (laughs) but when they put it all together, it was kind of fun. Yeah. I have to say it, it's really William Campbell does an excellent job. And yeah. his part, um, he really does pull off the whole, uh, the whole, uh, uh, <laughs> checked out and out of touch. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Powerful being. And I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. He is one of the most iconic characters of all of Star Trek. Yes. Uh, Treme- Trelane is absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, if you haven't watched it, please check it out. It is an amazing episode. Very, very good. And then join us next time because we're going to watch another super iconic episode. Oh, the arena. arena. Oh, so good. Uh, (laughs) That's the Gorn episode. And you're going to hear the Gorn in his dulcet tones as he says. (laughs) For half an hour straight. It's so good. (laughs) Gorn's speech is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> I did like that in, uh, in the new series, when they meet the Gorn, um, they kind of sound like that. <laughs> like they, ev- they changed everything else about the Gorn, but they kind of sound the same and I kind of like it. <laughs> anyway. This really sounds like they have real problems with their, their uh, nasal passages. Well, you know what it is, is it, it's the, it's the atmosphere. The atmosphere, it just irritates their sinuses so bad. <laughs> all that drip we always have a cold we perpetually have a cold <laughs> the, we're lizards for hay fever oh my gosh we come from a swamp uh planet don't you understand <laughs> when we go to a planet that's got actual grass oh my god <laughs> <laughs> anyway well hey everybody i i would want to give a, a shout out to our friends over at five-year mission for the use of their song beam down as our intro and outro uh, make sure to check out their website at fiveyearmission.net, uh, where you'll find a song for each episode of the original series grouped into albums for each of the seasons. Uh, you can also so cool. find them on Apple Music as well as Spotify. Thank you, guys. 
Please feel free to stop by and drop us a line. We are No Seatbelts on the Bridge on Twitter, Facebook, Blue Sky, and Instagram. All the grams. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. Starlight, eight, three,